Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Bible Study Podcast. I'm Travis Pauly, and here we have one goal, learn to love like Jesus. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Hey, Travis. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you? Good. I'm doing very well. We have another question from a listener today. Yes. We love we love questions, so keep yeah. sending them in. Keep sending them yeah, in. Yeah, keep sending in those questions. This one is going to focus on a passage out of Romans chapter 5. I'll go ahead and read the question. Okay. So I'm wondering why we see verses such as Romans 5, 12 through 14, which say that sin entered the world through one man, even though both Adam and Eve disobeyed God. I'm trying to reconcile the this with verses like Genesis one twenty six, where the command for dominion throughout the earth was given to both Adam and Eve, and also with verses like Genesis 3.16, where God says your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. I'm curious about these verses and the implications that it has when it comes to gender, gender roles. It seems like at creation, God created with, with equality of genders, but then some of the verses I listed above seem to speak to differences in responsibilities and expectations expected for both genders. But what messages, possibly subtle, does this reveal about women? Excellent question. Excellent question. Mm-hmm. I, uh, there's, as I was preparing my thoughts on this, I was like, there's so much. I hope we can get through it um, all in one episode. We may end up having to break this up into two episodes. But uh, regardless, great question, and and she touches on multiple points that are brought up in these debates, and and we should acknowledge that uh, that this is this is something that that current scholarship and mm-hmm. current uh, theologians and Bible scholars are debating, and is highly contested right now uh, because of its implications about gender and gender roles. Uh, we'll talk more about that as we go, but but let's start with just this basic question, did sin enter the world through Adam or Eve? I think that's the the basic question here, right? So Paul says that sin came into the world through Adam in Romans 5, but when we read the Genesis account, it seems like Eve was the first one to sin. So why would Paul accuse Adam of being the first one to sin when Eve was the first one to sin? Um, Why did the sin come into the world through Adam and not through Eve. So let's kind of walk through that, and then we'll talk about some of the the implications that that she sort of alludes to there. Uh, so Genesis 1.26 is one of the passages that, that she brings up, um, but I think it's important here, as kind of a side note, to note that there are two creation accounts in Genesis. There's the first creation account in Genesis 1 and the second creation account in Genesis 2, and they're different. The way that they're worded um, is different. The The way that things are laid out is different. The the, the scope is different. The, uh, the emphasis is different. The first creation account is more about how God ordered the universe right? and about how God created different spaces and filled those spaces. He created the heavens and the earth. He filled the heavens and the earth. He created, you know, so, so God is creating spaces and filling spaces, the, the heavens, the earth, the land, the sea, and he's filling those with 
birds and fish and animals and people. Uh, the the culmination of all of that, the the climax of all of that, is is the creation of human beings. He says in Genesis one twenty six, God said, "Let let us make man in our image." after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And here we're talking about man as in humans. Uh, So God says that he's going to make mankind, mankind, human beings, in his own image after his likeness, and they are going to have dominion it says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens. So this part of the creation account or this specific creation account is not talking about gender roles or gender differences. Uh, there's really in this first part of what we've just read, there really is no distinction even made. We don't get to that until verse 27. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So so the account gives us both the the scope the um the job the vocation of humanity that the hum- the the vocation of humanity is to image god in the world to be the image bearers of god to uh, reflect god's likeness into the world uh, not in their physical appearance but but by by the fact that he is giving them the the rule and the reign the dominion to rule and reign with him over creation and and even that again i i feel like we're taking several side side roads here but but even that idea is so revolutionary because in the ancient world the image bearers of the gods were royalty and only royalty were image bearers of the gods so if uh the pharaoh if, if you were reading a, a creation account from Egypt or from um, Mesopotamia or for, from wherever, uh, Babylon, then those types of creation accounts would make the ruler, the king, the image bearer of the God. He is made in the image of the God, and it's his job to reflect the likeness of God into the world as he's given dominion over the earth or over these people or over this specific plot of land. Mm. But in... In this creation account, in the creation account of Yahweh, in the, the creation account of the law of Moses, it's every human being, both male and female. God has given dominion, royalty, uh, the the imago Dei, the image-bearing vocation to all humanity. And that is a revolutionary idea. It, it really has revolutionized the world. This idea that every human being is made in the image of God. Every human being is an image bearer of God. Every human being was created to, to be royalty, to rule over, to have dominion over the earth. Now, something happens <laughs> between this and that where we no longer have the same dominion. We're no longer ruling and reigning with God. God's kingdom has God's rule and reign where we are co-ruling and reigning with God. We are co-heirs with him. That's been broken because of the fall. But this creation account is setting up the whole story of of the Bible, the whole story of the the plan, God's plan to reestablish 
the the glory and the honor of human beings to make them once again his co co-reigning creation that that human beings are going to co-reign with him mm-hmm. over the earth that's that's the big picture of the bible uh, the fall is what has broken that and then the removal of sin the forgiveness of sin is what will fix that um, but to get back to the original question yes male and female humanity is made up of two parts a male portion of humanity and a female portion of humanity. And together, male and female, they have dominion over the creation. Now, that doesn't really tell us anything. <laughs> that that just tells us that together, male and female, humanity has dominion over the earth and is created to, to be God's image bearers. I mean, it tells us, it tells us something. It tells us that women are just as much image bearers of God as men are. It mm-hmm. tells us that, that women have a, a role to play in, in exercising whatever dominion God has given us or, or, or will reestablish for us and with us. But the, the specific questions that, that, that our listener is alluding to really come from Genesis 2 rather than Genesis 1. That's really where we get into the distinctions between the male and the female, how this came to be. Genesis 1 creation account doesn't give us any of that. It's just assumed from the beginning. God's going to make them in his image. He makes them male and female. And that's it. it. It sounds like from that creation account, from that particular telling of it, and again, these aren't in contradiction to one another, it's just that they have a different emphasis. From the first chapter, it doesn't seem like there's any gap between male and female. It's just they're created, it looks like they're created together, but we know when we read chapter two, that's not exactly the picture that we should have in our mind, that they were created together at the same time. The man is created first, and then the woman is created. And that actually will play into Paul's argument here in just a second. So, Travis, if you have your, your Bible, why don't you read um, Genesis 2, uh, read 15 through 17, if you don't mind. The Lord God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it. But the Lord God warned him, you may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you eat its fruit, you are sure to die. Okay. So so now we're getting really specific, and the emphasis of Genesis 2 creation account is on the garden. Genesis 1 creation account is just about the whole cosmos, the whole creation, the whole world, the, the heavens and the earth, all of it together, this big picture view. The Genesis 2 account zooms in, and we really focus on the garden and on man's role in the garden. And so the man, specifically the man, is put in the Garden of Eden. Now, the word man is Adam. This word man is Adam, which is where we get Adam. So he puts Adam, the man, in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. Specifically, though, the woman hasn't yet been created. And so Eve hasn't come along yet, and and the man is is given this role and this responsibility of working and keeping the garden. And again, when we combine that, and I think we should combine that with the creation account in Genesis 1, we realize, okay, this is how he's going to exercise his co-ruling and reigning with God. This is how he's going to image God is by by working, keeping, caring for, tending this good creation that God has made. He's created this beautiful, good world, and he's created this garden that is 
perfect and wonderful and harmonious, and he's put the man in the garden to work it and to keep it. And then he tells him, and he gives this instruction specifically to the man, to the Adam, to the human. Um, but again, again, this is human, the human, but it's going to come to be two humans from the one human, <laughs> but, but we're not there yet. Uh, then it says in verse 18, then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man, the Adam, should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Now, how, how does yours read in verse 18? Who is just right for him. Mm, okay. It says a helper who is just right for him. Mm-hmm. It uses the word helper. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. We'll come back to that. So a helper who is just right for him. And then he, he, it says that he, God had formed every beast of the field and the birds of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And again, he actually does the same with Eve. He brings Eve to the man to see what the man will call her. Uh, but he does this first with the animals. And it says, and whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And again, to show that God is allowing humanity, which is an amazing thing, that God is allowing these dirt people, (laughs) these people that he formed from the dirt and breathed life into them. He's allowing them to to co-reign with him so that even the creation of these animals, he's allowing the human to call them by their name, to Mm -hmm. give them names. Uh, to exercise that sort of dominion and authority with God over his good creation. But he says that it's not good that humans are alone and that he's going to make a a suitable, suitable helper for the man. Now, when you hear the word helper, and it would be interesting to ask our, our female friends um, what they think of when they hear the word helper. But when you hear the word helper, what do you think? Do you think positive, negative? Is there a certain image that comes to your mind when you think of the word helper? It's completely positive. Okay. Uh, it's, I mean, I, I don't think of it as uh, something that even could be, I mean, I, I know it can be, uh, like everything can be turned negative, but I don't look at it as something that is inherently negative in any way. Sure. Um, I think it's, you know, to kind of back up to what you were saying about this idea that God has placed man in the garden with a job to do, and I don't want to skip too far ahead, but Mm -hmm. I'm also thinking about the curse that's coming. Right, right, right. And that job's going to continue. Yeah. It's just under new terms, Mm -hmm. but Adam's job that he's given in the garden, that seems to be something that is everlasting as Mm -hmm. long as, as the earth is, is, uh, around in its form, um, and so I think it would, I think that's where we get a lot of what Paul is writing about when the, the role's continuing, that there's the job that man has, there's the job that women have. And I, I, I think we have a tendency to look at something like helper mm-hmm. and think of it as like, well, it's less than, it's, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not sure where we get that. I'm not yeah. sure yeah. where that connotation comes from. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. I don't think that there it should be taken as an inherently negative thing. It it definitely when you look at the Hebrew word, the Hebrew for sure should not be seen as condescending in any mm-hmm. way. That that sometimes when we think of helper, I think what comes to some people's mind is like a sidekick. Sure. And and that in our culture because of comic books because of whatever we we have this negative image like you have the real hero you have the real person in charge you have the the guy at the top and then you have a helper like a like a secretary like a you know sure. and, and we, we we attach negative connotations to people that 
that help or assist. In fact, even even words like secretary have sort of gotten taken out of our vocabulary because we don't, we just, we're really uncomfortable. We'll come back to this idea later, but we're really uncomfortable in our culture with any sort of differentiation. We're, oh, we're really uncomfortable with hierarchy. We're, we're, really, con, we're really concerned with um, that idea of pa- uh, patriarchy. We're, we're really concerned. And, and I think, again, we'll have to take a side note every now and then to remind ourselves, sometimes for good reason, right. because these ideas have been abused. So we sure. do wanna say that, that there have been people that have interpreted these passages of scripture to be condescending. We, there have been people who have interpreted these passages of scripture to sort of keep women under the thumb of men, but that's not the way we should read this story. Um, the word helper there is azer. The Hebrew word is azer. And it means someone coming to aid or support or help or lift up someone else. In fact, most of the time that the word azer is used in the Bible, it's used of God, that God is our azer. God is specifically Israel's azer, the one who comes to aid Israel. Right. Now, that's not to say that that the woman will be the man's God or something like that. This isn't that word doesn't really imply who's in charge of who or whether or not they're equal or that's not the idea. The idea is God has given the man, the male, a specific role and alone. He can't seem to do it. It's not good for him to be alone. And so God has given someone to come alongside of him and help him to be his support, to be his aid. Now there's, there's, sort of two sides of that. On the one hand, it does say that responsibility belongs to the man, that he's the one that was originally tasked with this and that the woman is made to support him, to aid him, to help him, not as a sidekick, but also not as exactly the same. The man and the woman are not a carbon copy of one another. They're, they're not, they're not the same. They're, they're different, but they're corresponding to. The other word there is connecto. It's an azer connecto, a helper who is suitable for him. Connecto means corresponding to, what did you, yours said, just right for him? Just right for him. Just right for him. The way that this word works, it's a great metaphor. A good good way to think about it is your right and your left hand. Mm -hmm. Your right and your left hand are the same, but they're not the same. They're the opposite in a same kind of way, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So they they fit together perfectly. And if they were exactly the same, they wouldn't fit together perfectly. If they were exactly the same, they they couldn't they couldn't correspond to each other, but they're mirror images of one another and because right. they're mirror images of one another, they they fit together. In fact, I would say this is a loaded term in today's culture, but I would say this is where we start to see the the complementary nature of men and women, and that they were made to be complementary to one another. We could even say that. We could say that that the woman was made to be a helper who is complementary to him. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's a beautiful word. And again, I realize that that this idea has been abused, that that people have taken the biblical teaching on on gender roles to mean that women can should be dominated by men, controlled by men, under the thumb of men. And it is atrocious what has happened. But we can't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Scripture 
absolutely teaches that there is a corresponding relationship, not a relationship that's exactly the same. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important for lots of different reasons. And and part of that is what we're getting to is this idea of where does the responsibility for sin fall? Does it fall on both of them or does it fall specifically and primarily on Adam because he was made in a different kind of way and was the one to receive this command first. I'm getting ahead of myself. But but again, this idea of an azer connecto is a beautiful term. And it really should should be something that both men and women can celebrate. This beautiful corresponding relationship that God created male and female to correspond to one another, to complement one another, to help one another, to to be there for one another, and to do for the other what they can't do for themselves. It's, it's a beautiful picture. Again, right and left hand, um, corresponding, fitting yeah. together in a perfect in a perfect way. Well, real quick, one of the things you said, something that's helped me a lot in passages like these that are a struggle for modern people yes. to... Uh, to know what to do with, to know how to let it inform their lives. Mm-hmm. One thing that's really helped me is backing up and examining my own perspective because I think something that I've found in my perspective on these types of passages that is common with, uh, is a common struggle for humans, whether you resent a passage like this mm-hmm. or you abuse a passage like this, is you're looking at this like the fundamental motivation is power. Mm. Whereas, why do we read scripture? Well, we're reading scripture to try to figure out what God wants for us. Yes, so yes. why are we looking at it from human motivations? What Everything you just said about the complementary nature of, of a helper and sort of defining these terms mm-hmm. to help us understand what exactly is going on here in a very limited account of, mm-hmm. uh, of, yes. of, of how big and how whether how long that took, whether how how long they were in the garden. Mm-hmm. We're getting a very, you know, uh, Cliff Notes version mm-hmm. of, of what's going on here. So the perspective we're trying to attain by looking at things, it's complementary. There's balance. There's, you know, like you said with, with your hands, they're mm-hmm. mirrored. They're not the mm-hmm. same. They're different in the same kind of way. That that seems to me to be backing up into God's perspective mm-hmm. and not resting in this human perspective that can so often devolve into just this either resentment or abuse of power. Yes. Well, and, and, and you're kind of getting ahead just a little yeah. bit, but, but when we talk about the fall, that's exactly what we'll, we'll talk about. But, but I think you, you've already pointed out something really important and that is as Christians, we have to read scripture with a cruciform hermeneutic. Mm-hmm. And this is something we talked about right. a, a few months ago is reading it through the lens of how does this help shape my perspective to be more like Jesus to, as our tagline says, love like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And if I'm reading it to say, who can I dominate? <laughs> who can I be in charge of? Who can I boss around? Mm-hmm. We're, we're reading it all the, the wrong way. already out Again, God's perspective. Right, exactly. Or if we read it on like, who do I not have to listen to? Who can I rebel right. against? Like that's the wrong perspective as well. And so we have to let this shape our thinking because this this account is actually where both Jesus and Paul and Peter, they all turn to the creation account when they're dealing with gender and sexuality. They turn back to this account. And like you said, it's 
It's pretty short. This is a pretty short uh, little story here, but it's a story that shapes the thinking and the the biblical imagination of God's people. And this is the story that's supposed to shape the way we think about what does it mean to be a human being? What does it mean to live in the world? What does it mean to interact with and be part of something so much bigger than myself? And again, again, the things we allow to shape our modern thinking are man i mean they're so they're so shallow and i you know if we really just stop and th- think about it the the consumerism the materialism the the rebellion the you know whatever like we let those things shape our thinking about what does it mean to be human this is really the story that should shape our thinking both in in recognizing the harmony that was there in the beginning and then the disharmony that happens because of the fall. And then we'll talk about, well, how does Jesus give an answer to that now? And how does Jesus give an answer to that in the future? So the already and the not yet nature of the kingdom. Maybe take a break? Let's take a break. I just want to take a short break from our Bible study to tell you that if you are enjoying this discussion, you might also enjoy my book, Beyond the Verse. You can find the audio version of the book at radicallychristian.com slash audible. That's radicallychristian.com slash audible. And if you're not already an Audible subscriber, you can actually get my book for free when you sign up for a free trial. So go to radicallychristian.com slash audible. Now back to the Bible study. Okay, well, we kind of left off at the end of verse nineteen, I think. So let's let's kind of pick back up, and then we'll we'll finish the the creation account, and then jump to the the fall just a little bit. Uh, you want to read verses twenty through twenty five in your translation? Sure, of Genesis two. Yes, Genesis two. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds of the sky, and all the wild animals, but still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, this one, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from man. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. Okay. Now, again, the emphasis here is not on domination. It's not on power. It's it's not even on, I would say it's not even specifically on roles. Mm-hmm. I think that's, we'll get more into this, why I say this, but I, I think that that's implied. And I think that most ancient people would have assumed, oh, well, yes, men and women are, are, are different. But, but this paints a beautiful picture of, again, corresponding to one another, complementing one another, fitting together. That's why I, I like the way that the ESV reads, a helper fit for him. I like mm-hmm. that word fit. You know, like, like a glove and a, and a hand are not the same, but they fit together. Right. A, a, a shoe and a foot are not the same, but they fit together. They correspond to one another. A lock and a, and a, and a key are not the same, but they fit together. They correspond to one another. And really, I don't want to get graphic, but but biologically, men and women are Mm complementary. Biologically, they correspond to one another. And what Genesis 2 specifically helps us to understand is that teleologically, 
both biologically and teleologically, men and women complement one another. They correspond to one another. They fit together. When we say teleologically, we mean the reason for which we were created. A, a key, if a, cre- a key exists, <laughs> the, what it says to you teleologically is that it exists to unlock something. Mm-hmm. Like you know its purpose, its teleological purpose, the, the purpose for which it was created. And philosophically, we believe that human beings aren't just an accident, like that this, we are not the product of time and chance. We are, we are created for a purpose. And so Genesis 2 helps us understand not only why do humans exist, but why does gender exist? Why do different sexes exist? And so biologically and teleologically, we complement each other. That's, that's a good thing, a, a thing that, that ought to be recognized, embraced, celebrated. And even these words, in, in both English and Hebrew, the word man and woman correspond to each other. Uh, in, in Hebrew, it's ish is man, ish, and isha is woman, ish and isha. So they're corresponding words. Again, mm-hmm. it's this beautiful picture of how men and women are not the same, but they're not different either. They're, they are opposite in a corresponding way. They fit together. And again, that's that's really that's really helpful. But but again, if we just look at this story and we say, okay, what does this teach us about roles? We have to come away with saying, well, God specifically gave the role to the man. In fact, he doesn't even repeat the the prohibition about the fruit to the woman. Right. He doesn't tell that to the Isha. He tells that to the Ish. He tells that to the man and not to the woman with the the understanding that she came to know about that because he told her, because the Ish told the Isha, that the man explained to the woman, these are the rules. This is what we're not allowed to do. We're not allowed to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And so there's this this corresponding nature, but also, again, the idea of the woman being the azer, the help, the support, the aid, the one that he needed to accomplish the role that God specifically gave to him— but there's also the idea of the man being the firstborn. And we're going to come back to this more, but that's a an idea that that's sort of fallen out of our collective consciousness. We don't think about the firstborn having a specific role, but an ancient person, specifically an ancient Hebrew person, would have read this story and recognized the fact that man was created first, not just that God told him his job and what he was supposed to do and then created the woman not just for that reason, but the fact that he is the firstborn of the human family. Right. That in and of itself, gender aside, the firstborn status. This is part of what Paul's whole point is that we have the first Adam and he's the father of us all. He is the firstborn of the whole human family. So he's the one who brings into the collective family. And again, we don't like the ideas of collective sin and those kinds of things. But but this is very much a part of, of that way of thinking, the ancient way of thinking, that that our father, our forefather, brought into our human family this sin. And not only did he bring sin into the family, but we all we all followed in our father's footsteps and we right. repeated that sin. So that idea of him being the firstborn of the family that meant that he was responsible for everything that happened to and in and with and for that family. He was the one who was responsible because, yes, gender, that would be part of it, but 
primarily because he was the firstborn. And because he was the firstborn, he was the protector. He was the provider. He was the one who had the primary responsibility of, of being the, the one to lead that family well. And then that sort of sets us up for what happens in Genesis chapter 3. So let's, let's read Genesis 3 and kind of think through the, the fall itself. Uh, you want to read verses uh, 1 through 7, Genesis 3? Yep. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. One day he asked the woman, Did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we are not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. If you do, you will die. You won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. At that moment their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. Okay. So there's obviously so much. And again just the beautiful design of this this account is meant to not only be not only to be um informative mm-hmm. but to be instructive mm-hmm. like this is who we are this is why we are where we are this is what what has happened so so part of it is just getting in our our head the picture of the pre-fall world and how everything is in perfect harmony. I love the word harmony, such a beautiful word, and that idea of everything fitting together. We talked about the corresponding nature of man and woman, but also the idea of nature, nature itself, the creation itself, and and humanity fitting together, and, and that dominion given to them because there is harmony. There's harmony between Adam and Eve. There's harmony between... Adam, humanity, and the earth. There's human. There's harmony between human harmony between humanity and deity, God. Um, and so there's humanity all around. Everything is in perfect harmony. In fact, this is one of the reasons. Again, to take kind of a side note, that we no longer have dominion. This kind of goes back to a comment you made in the first half of this conversation. Why humanity no longer has dominion over the earth. When we read Hebrews, it's interesting. He's quoting from Psalms, and he says that we no longer see the the current creation subjected to humanity. And we see that. When we look around now, everything is in rebellion. Everything is broken. The, I mean, if you think that you have dominion over the earth, like go tell a tree to grow. Go tell the wind to stop. Yeah. Go tell the, the, the storm, peace, be still. That's dominion over creation. Dominion over creation is what Jesus exercised when he said, peace, be still. I think that's what Adam and Eve could have done in the garden. Right. I think if, if a storm blew through, they could say, peace, be still. I think they could point at, a, at a, a sapling and it would grow. I think there was perfect harmony and they ruled with God over creation so that creation did what they told it to. So these, these animals walk by and he names them and they are what he names them. Adam has dominion over creation. We don't anymore. Humanity does not have dominion over creation. Now, the Hebrew writer's point is 
over the new creation, we will have dominion. We will have dominion over the world to come, which brings up all kinds of awesome images and, and things like that. But we have to recognize that this, this moment in the garden where they sinned, where they did what God told them not to, this is where everything fell apart. Mm -hmm. This is where the harmony broke, where things no longer fit together the way that they did before. And so now, now you've got, you've got tension, animosity, enmity between creation and humanity, between humanity and God, and even between humanity and humanity. And so now when we try to fulfill our calling, when we try to live out our vocation, when we try to subdue the earth and have dominion over it, well, good luck with that, right? I mean, like, go tell a bear, it's my job to rule over you. You know, he's going to fight you every step of the way. A lion is going to fight you every step of the way. You you can domesticate them, but there's going to be tension. There's going to be animosity. You can, you can grow things in the ground, but it's also going to grow weeds and thorns and it, it's fighting you. It's fighting you every step of the way. But we see that's what happens to the human family as well. You want to read Genesis 3.16? This was brought up in the original question anyway. Uh, so Genesis 3.16. Then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy, and in pain you will give birth, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Okay, so... So they, there they made an interpretive decision. They said, you will desire to rule over your husband. That, that could be. Um, that, that's, that's probably a fairly good translation. The ESV says, your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. Mm -hmm. So again, it's, it's everything that happened. There wasn't that there wasn't that enmity before. That, there wasn't that animosity before. There wasn't pushing and pulling in two different directions. They were a hand and a glove. They were a right hand and a left hand. They were a shoe and a foot. They were a, a lock and a key. They worked together perfectly. But now, now there's this mismatch. Now there's this, this tension between the two of them. Now they're pushing and pulling in different directions. And even this good relationship, obviously they're going to stay married. They're going to have children together. So there is, there is some harmony. There is some fitting together. There is some correspondence. But there's also a brokenness. And there's also this, in fact, this same phrase that that there, there will be something that is contrary to you and you need to rule over it. It's the same language that, that God will use later when he's talking about Cain and Abel. And he says that sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. And so mm -hmm. there's that animosity in just a, a just very shortly in the story that there's this animosity between sin, like a wild animal that's crouching at the door. It wants to rule over you, but you have to rule over it. So there's going to be this power struggle between men and women. Wow, that, that's what's not supposed to be. So to go back to the original question, the original question has to do with, well, what, what pre-existed the fall? Did differing roles pre-exist the fall? Did male leadership pre-exist the fall? I would say yes. Mm -hmm. I would say that that God created man to to lead, 
to be responsible. That's why the that's why Paul says that sin came into the world through Adam because he was responsible for the human family. When we read in Genesis 3 verse 6, it says after Eve eats the fruit, she gives it to her husband who was with her. Mm-hmm. And then when God accuses the man, he says, "You listened to that. You listened to that." Paul will say Eve was the one who was deceived. Mm-hmm. Adam wasn't deceived. He just went along with it and he didn't lead. He didn't protect. He didn't provide. He wasn't who God had called him to be. And so the responsibility as the man, if you want to put it that way, or the firstborn, if you want to put it that way, fell on him. So that male leadership pre-existed the fall, but it wasn't an issue before the fall. It's like, who's in charge, the lock or the key? I I don't know. Why does that matter? Like, who cares who's in charge? They fit together perfectly. They correspond to each other. They they do what they do with and for each other. After the fall is when the tension comes. Mm-hmm. Well, when the tension comes, that's that's when that's when any human relationship gets difficult and challenging. That's why there's power struggle. There's power struggle not because someone's in charge. There's power struggle because of sin. And so, I mean. Think about it in any relationship. I mean, even a work relationship. I mean, technically, on, on paper, Travis reports to me. And so on paper, I'm Travis's boss. But that's almost never an issue because there's no there's no tension here. There's no there's no rebellion here. There's no there's no issue here. There's no power struggle here. So who cares? Who who cares? With my wife and I, there there's no there's no tension. There's no struggle for the most part. So it doesn't matter, quote unquote. Who's in charge? Does does the responsibility still fall on me? Yes, it does because I'm the man because I'm in charge. But 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 if if there's this ruling over, if there's this power, if there's animosity, mm. if there's enmity, if there's pulling in two different directions, that's the problem, and that's the consequence of the fall. They weren't cursed with okay. Well, now now Adam's in charge. That's not really the issue. What's the issue is. Now you have different agendas. Mm -hmm. And because you have a different agenda than your husband, now it's going to be a pain. Now it's going to be a struggle. Now childbearing is going to be a struggle. Now marriage is going to be a struggle. And as much as we could look at good relationships in our lives, even the best relationships still have tension. (laughs) We're still waiting for redemption because of the fall. That's the consequence of the fall. You know, I've realized recently, Wes, that I can reduce a lot of what I learned about life early on to what I learned in sports. Mm, mm-hmm. And I think back to, I played basketball growing up for seven years through junior high and high school. And like everybody else, always wanted to be the scorer. Mm. Always wanted to score. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be getting 20, 30 points a game. Just never really worked out. I could always get a few buckets. And then finally I figured out what I was good at. And when I started focusing on that, the scores started to score more, and I started getting other stats that contributed to everything. Mm-hmm. And it, again, it's a weird analogy, but it, it did, it is one of the, those things that's helped me understand if you're focused on power, mm-hmm. if you're focused on status in any situation in yeah. life, relationally, professionally, anything, if you're focused on credit, if you're focused on power, then you're going to have, if 
if you bump up with somebody with that similar agenda, mm-hmm. then there's no chance of you working together. Mm-hmm. That's right. But you could actually bump up against somebody with that agenda, mm-hmm. but if you have a different one, mm-hmm. like, well, what's my role? What can I offer mm-hmm. that nobody else can? Yeah. Then you can actually, you can even, even in a broken world, you can be in relative harmony, even with people with different motivations mm-hmm. than that. Mm-hmm. But I think ideally, we're all focused on what, can I bring to the table? What, what mm-hmm. is what is it? What is it called upon? What, what is called upon me to bring to the table? Mm-hmm. And how do I how do I do that? How do I focus on that and not get wrapped up in, I think the the sin and and lies that have been told to us from the very beginning. That yeah. I mean that it is a status sin that is committed for, right from the get go. Mm-hmm. You know you you will be like. God, mm-hmm. not you're going to die. Right. So I think that uh, it's just something I keep coming back to in this conversation. And when we talk, we talked in the first half about power and mm-hmm. about how it's so easy for us to view passages like this with either the desire to abuse or resent it. Yeah. And that, not, and, yeah. and that is so much the point. This, mm-hmm. that's exactly the point. And I, I think we're going to come back and do part two of, yeah. of this conversation uh, next week. But but I think we, we have to end by saying that that's, that's what the fall caused. The fall didn't cause different roles. Again, any more than, than a right hand and a left hand or a key and a lock or a, a glove and a, a hand. The, 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 the fall didn't cause those, those different corresponding roles. What the fall caused was this, this differing of agendas, this, this tension, this pulling in different directions. And we, we recognize that still today, that that's when, there's, that's when there's a problem. The problem isn't, I mean, if you think about anything, any organization with hierarchy, any organization, you mentioned sports teams, the fact that there's a coach or there's a, a quarterback or there's a captain of the basketball team or whatever, or, or you think about the military, you think that there's different ranks within the military. The problem, if there's a problem, if there's, if there's tension, if there's a fight, the problem isn't that there's different roles. That's not the problem. The problem is sin. The problem is people that have their own agenda, that are working against the common good, that, that are working against the harmony of the organization. Maybe they're thinking, I should be in that role. Right, well, exactly. Yeah. Yes, it's I want to be in charge. I want to be in power. And and it is, it is inexcusable that men, and I, I mean, I'll put this fully on, on the on the feet of men at the feet of men that men have used scripture have used this story to dominate to control to abuse women that's not what it's giving men the the license to do again if we read this and we'll come back to this more if we read this with a cruciform hermeneutic how can you read what paul writes in ephesians 5 and think that's the way christian men are supposed to lead and love their wives yes i believe in a complementary nature of marriage and gender that men and women are different but they work together but i do not believe in male domination over women that's not what god is saying but god is saying that because of the fall there's going to be there's going to be tension in all human relationships, not just with men and women in marriage, but in every human relationship because we're all sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. And so as great as a working relationship may be or a sports relationship may be or a neighbor-to-neighbor relationship might be, even if it's good, it's still broken. 
And, and we need to ask, how does the gospel, how does Jesus bring healing to that to reverse the consequences of the fall now and in the age to come? That's what the gospel is all about, is about this already. So there's a part of it that says, okay, if we follow Jesus, we will begin to mitigate the problems and the, the consequences of the fall, even now in the present age, but especially in the age to come. And that's what we'll talk about next time. Thank you so much for being part of the Radically Christian Bible Study Podcast today. We hope that you've enjoyed this episode. I want to give a special thanks to Travis Pauly and to our McDermott Road Church family for making this podcast possible. As always, we love you, God loves you, and we hope that you have a wonderful day.